0: So if I did not introduce myself, I'm Jackson Flieger. I am the student pastor, and if this is your first time, I just wanna say welcome. So glad that you are here. How many of you enjoyed some college football yesterday? Anybody, anybody? So it's a great time, it's Labor Day, right? Some people are not at church today because they're on vacation, and we get to play the fun little game, like who's not here because they watched too much college football and couldn't wake up for church, right? Uh, I, I think I read somewhere in the Old Testament that says, if it's not SEC football, it's not actually football, right? So go Gators. Sorry to all the Mormons in Utah, but we took you down. Uh, No offense, no offense. But seriously though, so excited that you are here today. So excited that we get to open the word of God and see what he has in store for us. So we've been in the book of Mark for a couple months now, and so we're just taking passage and passage of scripture breaking it down and seeing what the Lord has in store for us, just so happens that uh, Pastor David said, hey, could you preach for us on, on Labor Day? And I said, yeah, of course. And then two, three weeks ago, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, your, your passage is on divorce. Peace out. I'll see you. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Given the, given the youth guy the passage on divorce, remarriage, all that fun stuff. Uh, but this is something that is a reality for all of us, right? Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a study that basically said that the divorce rates inside the church are the same as outside of the church. And as I was trying to find that study, I, I kind of learned that that's not necessarily true. Uh, that study was kind of done on just some faulty uh, semantics, all these different things. Uh, but if you were to look at it, it is true that if you build your marriage on the foundation of Jesus, if you live out your faith regularly and actively by going to church, being in Christian community, reading your Bible, praying and doing these things, your marriage is far less likely to end in divorce. But we still know that it's a present reality inside the church and outside of the church, right? We see it everywhere. I would imagine that we could go from person to person in this room today and all of us have either walked through the pain of a divorce previously in our life or you know someone who has been affected by the pain and brokenness of divorce, whether it was a grandparent or your parents when you were younger or a family friend, it's hard. Divorce is hard. It leaves a pain for so many people. I remember one of my friends when we were younger in the in the neighborhood he and his family they went through a divorce and so seeing just a just a young teenager having to work through those thoughts and the pain it's hard and so as the as the student pastor i just want to let you know that i recognize a few things this morning that are true and the first is this i am no marriage expert i'm not a marriage counselor and i am not standing up here pretending to Think or know that I have all the answers to marriage and that I could counsel you to a perfect, beautiful marriage, right? Uh, In December, I'll have been married for three years and I think my wife would tell you that Jackson is no marriage expert. I'm still learning how to love and lead my family well as I'm sure many of us are and I'm also fully recognizing that some of you have been married longer than I've been alive. So really, I should be sitting at your feet learning from you and how you've done that for so long. But I just want to let you know, I speak as not as an expert, but just in humility this morning. Second, I just want to say, I know this is a sensitive subject. That for many of us, this could uh, bring out a lot of emotions. And in no way today am I trying to shame anybody? Am I trying to open any old wounds or, or cause any pain? This is all said in humility and in grace and just as we were singing old things have passed away the new things you're here right so if you're a christian there's there's no shame but where the spirit of the lord is there's freedom amen so please don't hear me saying that i'm shaming you or i'm better than you or that i'm in a marriage expert because i am not but this is the third truth last truth that i recognize this morning when god's word speaks we can know with confidence what is truth we can know God's plan for us, his will for us. When, when we read scripture, we can walk away with confidence knowing that this is the word of God. And so that's all I plan to do today, is just with confidence and humility, walk through the scriptures and say, Lord, what does your spirit have for us today? So that's what I wanna do. And I hope you can join us uh, uh, for this time. And again, I just wanna pray one more time asking that the spirit would move. Father, we're here for you. Not for anybody else, but we're here to praise you, to honor you, and to hear from you. Would we be sensitive to the moving of your spirit, who inspired these words over 2,000 years ago, and they're still good for us today. Oh, God, how we need them today. Minister to our hearts. Meet us here in this such a sensitive space. We love you and praise you. Amen. So, as we turn, you can turn in your Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 10. We'll be in verses 1 through 12 this morning, and the first truth that we're going to see this morning is that marriage takes place in a broken world. Marriage takes place in a broken world. Just like in our time, Jesus' time felt the pain and brokenness of divorce. The ugly reality of divorce was present in Jesus' time, just like it is in our time. They were not immune to the suffering that some of you have felt. They knew what the pain was of walking through such a difficult situation. And so we'll read in the first five verses of Mark 10. It says this. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He set out from there and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan and across the Jordan. Then the crowds converged on him again, and as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to him testing, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and to send her away. But Jesus told them he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. So by this time, we're 10 chapters into the book of Mark, right? So we know that when the Pharisees approached Jesus, their intentions are never pure. They're never just genuinely wondering what Jesus thinks about a subject. They're always trying to trap him. They're always trying to get him to trip up or or to get him to say something wrong that went against the teachings in the Old Testament. And so some people would say that maybe in this section, we know uh, a couple chapters ago in Mark, that King Herod... uh, had John the Baptist killed, because why? Because John the Baptist said, hey, Herod, it's not okay that you are marrying your brother's wife. He spoke out against this immorality associated to marriage and it got John the Baptist killed. And so some people wonder if maybe the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus on Herod's target or on his hit list, right, to, to get him mad. And, but some people also think that in this time in the Jewish time with the with the rabbis and the Jewish law divorce was such a tricky subject there was a lot of differing views so they were wanting to see where Jesus fell what he thought about the issue what he thought about the Old Testament passages and we'll see that Jesus gives his thoughts he gives his reasoning but we see they say is it lawful for a man to get a divorce and Jesus answers their question with a question he says well what did Moses tell you And they say, well Moses told us to just write divorce papers and to send the woman Away. These words were rooted in Deuteronomy 24, uh, a lot of the rabbi's understanding of divorce, but it came from this passage in Deuteronomy 24, which should be on the screen. It says If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. If, after leaving his house, she goes and becomes another man's wife, and then the second man hates her. He writes her a divorce certificate, hands it to her, and sends, him a, uh, sends her away from his house. Or if he dies, the first husband who sent her away may not marry her again after she has been defiled, because this would be detestable to the Lord. So, says, you must not bring the guilt to the land of the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. So when interpreting this passage, the Jewish rabbis would have looked at this passage and they would have had two camps two ways of thinking about this, two ways of approaching it. One was a little more conservative, and they would have focused on that phrase that said something indecent about her, and they would have hyper-focused on that word indecent. And they would have thought that to mean something sexually immoral or impure. So they would say, you can divorce your wife if she does something immoral, if she cheats on you, if she uh, sleeps with another man, if she does anything like that, then you can divorce her. So that's one camp, one way of thinking, one uh, section of the rabbis that would fall under that way of thinking. But there was another uh, camp that was a little more loose in their interpretation. Instead of focusing on the indecent phrase, they would focus on the word something. They would say, if there's something, that the husband finds about his wife that he does not like, he can divorce her. So they would say, if your wife embarrasses you, divorce her. If she does something that displeases you, divorce her. I I was reading and they were saying, man, it could be something as simple as not cooking a meal right or embarrassing him in public. They could write up divorce papers and send her away. It's just divorce on demand for that section. But there was this conversation between these two camps of when can you get a divorce? And here's the thing. In Jewish law, only a man could file for divorce. The woman couldn't file for divorce. She was helpless in a lot of these situations. But what they misunderstood about this teaching, this command from Moses, was that Moses was not encouraging them to get a divorce. They would have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moses is permitting us to get a divorce, right? He's telling us to. But that would not be the case. Instead, what Moses was doing, he was more regulating the practice of divorce because of the sinfulness of mankind. Instead of encouraging it, he was regulating it to uh, protect women, to protect the society. Because before this command was put into place, a man could just go up to his wife and say, I divorce you, just on the account of his own word. didn't have to write papers, didn't have to go through a process. He could just be like, I'm done with you, see you later. And so this law was to help regulate that process, to give the man time to think through his decisions, to say, do you really wanna do this? And it would protect the women, provide her a certificate of divorce. And some scholars would say that uh, some of this could have been related to uh, sexual immorality where the man would divorce his wife, send her to another man for 24 hours or so, and then he would remarry his wife after all of that. Terrible, terrible. And so what Moses was doing was protecting the women in the culture, saying, you can't do that. And so if you divorce your wife and then you want her back later, you can't remarry her. You can't treat her like property. You can't treat her in a negative way. And so he was regulating the practice. And Jesus conveys this idea in verse 5. He says, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. The Bible has always understood that divorce is a reality because of the hardness of our hearts because of our sin, because we live in a fallen, broken world. Moses wrote the command knowing that men were going to try to divorce their wives, knowing that we live in a broken Genesis 3 world. The divorce that was present during the Jewish culture was a result of the hardness of their hearts, of their sin. And I would just encourage us, again, in humility, we should live in light of this reality, recognizing that no marriage is safe from sin. No marriage is safe from the brokenness of sin, no matter how strong, no matter how long you've been married, no matter how healthy it may seem now. We must guard ourselves from sin, because this is a present reality that can infect any heart, any marriage, any church, any relationship. Sin can seep its way in there, so we should be diligent in that. But Jesus quickly changes the conversation from divorce to marriage. He, he doesn't really spend too much time on divorce with all the Pharisees. He quickly goes into what marriage is. And that brings us to our second point, the Creator's high view of marriage. Jesus says this in verses 6 through 9. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God joined together, let no one separate. So in these verses, Jesus is more concerned, not with with weighing into the conversation of divorce, saying this camp is right, this camp is wrong, you guys are right, you guys are wrong. He's not really interested in that. What he wants to show all the listeners, what he wants to show you and what he wants to show me is what God's intended purpose was for marriage, what he intended it to be. And to do this, he takes us back to the beginning, to Genesis one and two. Let me just say this, our culture, it would help us so much if we would go back to the beginning to understand sex, sexuality, marriage, divorce, all these things that are just waging in our culture. If we would just go back to the beginning to see what the creator says, we would be able to understand it so much more. But the two verses that Jesus cites are Genesis 1, 27, and Genesis two twenty-four. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. In Genesis uh, 2, 24, he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We see three things. I don't have them on the screen, but three things about marriage from these verses that Jesus is, is talking about. First is that God's design for marriage is a male and a female coming together for a lifelong relationship. I know that some people have muddied the waters of this conversation in our culture, but we see that God, as he creates everything, chooses his words and his language very, very carefully. He says that God has created every person, either male or female. And when he instituted marriage, he made it a relationship between a man and a woman. We see that God is a God of order, not chaos. When he created everything, he created it for a reason, with an intended purpose. not just making stuff up as he goes he had a reason for doing what he was doing now read that sentence God's design for marriage is a male and female coming together in a lifelong relationship anytime we go against that design we invite chaos into our life mess with the the male and female part mess with the lifelong part mess with going doing things outside of marriage you invite chaos into your life because God is a good God A God of order, a God of design, a God with a plan, and He's given us a plan for our life. It's for our benefit and for our. Good. The second thing he says is the two become one. When a husband and a wife come together, they become so close that they're not viewed as two separate individuals anymore, but they're viewed together as one flesh. They're united physically, spiritually, sexually, emotionally, Uh, all these different things. They're seen as one. In a marriage relationship, it's beautiful. The two people are brought so close together that it's no longer two, but it's one united together. This is God's purpose for the marriage. In marriage, the two people are brought so close together that they are viewed as one for the purpose of complementing each other, sanctifying each other, and glorifying God. In one of my classes at college, our professor had us read this book, and the tagline was basically, marriage is not meant to make you happy, but holy. And it changed the way that I view marriage, because too often we think, man, if my marriage is not making me happy, it must not be right. But what the author was pointing out, he was saying that your marriage is truly meant to sanctify you, to make you more like Jesus, And third, we see from Jesus' teachings, because God has brought the marriage together, no one should separate. To separate or, or to end a marriage is to end something that God brought together. So in this Jewish culture that had people who were saying, man, if your wife burns a meal or is displeasing you, divorce her. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't just divorce for any casual reason that you want to. This is something that God has brought together. This is a union that's been made before God. It's holy, it's beautiful. No man should just separate that casually just because you don't like the woman anymore. He said, don't do that. Jesus is reminding them of God's great and high view of marriage. One commentator would say this. He would say, the divine ideal, okay, the divine ideal, the way that God's created things, the divine ideal as seen in creation is the permanent union of a man and a woman in marriage and no divorce whatsoever. So Jesus is reminding us, and he's reminding the audience of the sanctity and the beauty of marriage. And we know that a healthy marriage benefits our society, it benefits our children, it benefits the church, it benefits the individual, it benefits God, it glorifies God, it honors God. So healthy marriages are a good thing, right? We can all agree on that, that God's given us this relationship for the benefit of all of us. And again, I would just humbly say this, marriages are worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth it. It is beautiful. It may have struggles. It may have hardships, but it is worth fighting for. It's worth praying for, and it's worth going to counseling for. And I would just offer you, I know he's not here today, but Pastor David is a man who loves people. He loves loving on you and caring for you. So if, if your marriage is hurting, I'm not saying come to me. I'm not a marriage expert, but he would love to talk to you. He would love to walk you through that. to to talk what he might be able to help you with or to point you to a counselor, we would love to come alongside of you and love on you and care for you and pray for you. But third, we see a biblical view on divorce and remarriage. We see, so Brooke said the divine ideal is no divorce, but again, remember, we live in a fallen, broken world. We live in a world where sin is present and where sin is present, brokenness is present, and we know that marriages are not safe from sin, so divorce does happen. So divorce does take place, and, and there's lots of views on, on divorce and remarriage, and I don't plan to summarize them. I know some people would say, you can never get a divorce, you can never get married. I'm going to just give you the, the popular evangelical view on it. Uh, if you fall somewhere differently, that's fine, kind of like end times views. If we fall somewhere differently, that's fine. You don't have to hate me, I don't have to hate you, but we know Where brokenness is present, sin is there, and sin can infect any relationship. So Jesus says this. He gets with his disciples, they're back at the house, and they begin to ask him more questions about divorce and remarriage, and they say, when they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And just up front from what i've seen and what i've studied we can say clearly from what jesus is saying is that if you were to divorce without a biblical cause and to remarry he says you should not do that that's not a part of god's design but we also see something interesting so in jesus's time get this a man could commit adultery against another man by seducing his wife so if you have a husband and a wife another guy comes along and and cheats with that wife they would say that the man committed adultery against the man Also, a wife could commit adultery against her husband. She could cheat on her husband. But in Jewish law, they would say that a man could not commit adultery against his wife because they had a low view of women. It's very sad, very messed up. But what's interesting is Jesus' teaching is bringing women to the same level of dignity as men. Jesus would have no place of viewing men as if they are greater than women. And so in this culture that looked down on women, often treated them as if they were property or less than, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> she can do all these things that you could do, right? Rephrase. What he's basically saying is this, is that women have the same level of dignity, intrinsic value, respect, all these things that you would give a man. he's saying you can give to a woman. And so he's uplifting the women empowering them in a culture that was very very cruel to them he's placing the men under the same obligation to faithfulness in their marriage as the women would have had it's really cool to see how Jesus uplifts women but here's here's the question that I'm sure you might be wondering what are the biblical causes for divorce and what are the biblical cases for remarriage and I'm just going to read you scripture one uh, cause for divorce would be this adultery in matthew 19 9 we see the exception clause that says this he says i say to you whoever divorces his wife accepts for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery the bible would say if you have been cheated on if someone has committed adultery against you which is such a pain such a sting they would say that is a a biblical cause for divorce And the second one we find in first corinthians is if the unbelieving spouse leaves. So in the context of 1 Corinthians, what was happening was is some people were getting saved, but not their spouse. So you would have a, a, a woman who believes in Jesus, but a spouse who doesn't, and sometimes the spouse would leave. And this is what Paul says in the six verses. He says, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she would, should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Basically, he's just reiterating some of the teachings of Jesus there. And then he says this with his uh, authority as an apostle. He says, to the rest, I, uh, I say, I, not the Lord, that if a man or that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, she should not divor- or he should not divorce her. For how do you know, wife, whether you will be saved? Uh, you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So Paul is saying, if you're married to an unbeliever and they just leave and they don't want to reconcile and, and and they don't they don't want to see the marriage through, he would say, you're fine to divorce, you're fine to remarry. And we would also say, just as a church, in the issue of abuse, in the case of abuse, there's the biblical argument made there. As I was reading some different secular articles, I was, I was wondering what are some of the top reasons that people do get a divorce? And, and, and these were some of them, and I would maybe title these as possible reasons not to get a divorce. Some of the main ones were we don't get along anymore. We don't agree on how to parent our kids. The, the spark that we initially felt isn't there anymore. We don't agree on how to handle money. We don't communicate well to each other. I don't love my spouse anymore. All she does is nag or he's so lazy or my spouse isn't attractive to me anymore or I have feelings for somebody else we would say that according to scripture none of these are a reason for divorce and maybe you've felt the pain of someone giving one of these reasons and I would just say I'm sorry God hears you and he sees you but as we come to a close I've I've really sought to be short in my words here today I want to read you a A quote from Danny Akin, he says that marriage is a gift and a work of God that receives its meaning and significance from Him. Basically, God created it. He defines it. He gets to decide what happens with it. But marriage is a truly beautiful relationship that God has put together. And that's why the Bible carefully lays out the steps and the procedures of divorce and remarriage for all of us. But as Christians, I think we need to be careful to ground ourselves in the gospel. The gospel should shape everything we do and it should change the way we think about everything. So I would just say again, we said there's no shame in this room. And so maybe you're sitting here and you you're maybe feeling guilt. I don't know. Maybe you've been divorced for unbiblical reasons. And I would say if you haven't, there's forgiveness for you. Maybe you've committed adultery against somebody. Maybe you have watched pornography or cheated on your wife or or had sex outside of marriage and you're feeling shame, and I would say if you haven't, there's forgiveness in the gospel. Maybe someone has wronged you or hurt you or cut you very deeply. I would just say because of what Jesus has done for us, forgiveness is possible in your own heart. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's forgiveness for all sins. I think previously throughout the church, divorce has been viewed as like an unforgivable sin, but that's just not true. It's just not true, that's not the gospel. Jesus died for all sins. And so there's no right for for me to stand up here and to think that I'm better than someone who's been divorced, or to shame someone who's gone through that. There's no right. Because at the foot of the cross, all can be forgiven. All sins. Man, if you you're struggling with other sexual sins, there's sin for that, or there's forgiveness for that. Jesus paid it all. That's the song we sing. All. It's not all except for divorce. That's not biblical. So God's heart is is here. He's near to you. I, I think there's a a, a longtime pastor, Kent Hughes, who who summarizes it better than I could. He says, divorce is not ideal, right? not God's plan but he says it's a divine concession to human sin and weakness God hates divorce but we must realize that if someone divorces and remarries within biblical guidelines it is not a sin though it's due to sin it is not a sin He says we must mourn every divorce and I know there's some people maybe you've had a divorce before you were even a Christian but just take heart that second Corinthians says that you're a new creation the old is gone the old has passed away the new is here you're a new creation, you don't have to be boxed in or defined by that sin. Christ has paid for it. You are a new creation. And so what we want to do as we're, as we're closing here, as we're coming to an end, I think we can all admit that the sin of divorce causes more pain than some other divorces because it's, it's such a hard situation to walk through. It's a, it's a sin that can leave a cut that's a little bit deeper than other sins. It can cause brokenness and pain like not many other things can so in the next few moments what we're going to do instead of me speaking for longer should have a time of lament a time for us to seek the Lord's face for the brokenness that we feel because like we said at the start all of us have either walked through the pain of divorce or have seen it played out in someone else's life that was close to us And if we're not careful we could go through life day after day week after week pretending like everything's all right but like in the psalms when we see david cry out to the lord for help to hear him sometimes we need this space to just seek the lord so maybe your marriage is hurting right now maybe you have someone in your life who is hurting right now this is a time to just seek the lord's faith the bible says that god is near to the brokenhearted that he hears our prayers and that the prayer of a righteous righteous person is powerful and so what we want to do as we we sing this next song is to just seek the lord's face and, and maybe maybe you're young or maybe your marriage is fine maybe you're not married and you're saying divorce is not really something i ever think about it's not something i'm struggling with but i would say this You may have an area of brokenness in your life. Maybe that's not related to divorce, not related to anything like this, but you need a space to seek the Lord. That's what this time is for. Teenager, if you're struggling, seek the Lord in this space. To everybody, we're all feeling the pain of brokenness. You can't live in a Genesis 3 world and not feel the pain of brokenness. So just within the the next five minutes or so, seek the face of the Lord. I would invite you just to pray to him, to call out. If you need to come down to the altar, do that. If you need to bow in your seat, do that. Seek the face of the Lord. He hears the brokenhearted.